Today's presentation is an encore presentation. Any dates or events mentioned in the program have already occurred. Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Andy Bates. Glad to be with you this Thursday, October 24th. As we are continuing our week, getting Reformation ready. That's right. We're preparing for Reformation for uh, next week and for all time, really. For all time, at least this side of heaven, as we continue to learn about the Reformation. What does it mean for us? And uh, particularly for the next generation, uh, for the, I shouldn't say the next generation, the, the current youngest generation. What does it mean for them and uh, how can they learn about it? We're going to continue that conversation today. Uh, I'm excited about this. I've really enjoyed this week so far. I love history. I, I can't say that I'm a historian, but I love history. And uh, today, a, a real treat for us. We get to talk with Dr. Daniel Van Voris of Concordia University, Irvine, about uh, about the Reformation. What is it? Uh, what is the real history of the Reformation? What does it mean for families today? We're going to get to that conversation in just a bit here. I want to say thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting this program. And if you'd like to find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin, go to our website, kfuo.org. Go to the sponsor section, click on the CUW logo. That'll take you to their page. Find out all about the programs they have to offer all around the globe, including one right here in St. Louis. If you'd like to join the conversation, if you have a question about the Reformation today, here's your chance. You can call us in St. Louis at 314-821-0850. Outside of St. Louis, 1-800-730-2727. Or you can email your questions to family at kfuo.org. Joining us by phone today... Dr. Daniel Van Voris, he is the Department Chair for History and Political Thought at Concordia University, Irvine, and also co-host of Virtue in the Wasteland, a podcast about living in the left-hand kingdom. Good morning, Dr. Van Voris. Good morning, Andy. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us this morning, and and I know it's a little bit earlier for you, so... Oh, it's, it's good. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a school day here at Concordia, Irvine, so it's uh, the day has started. Students are milling about. The, the students are up and about at 9 o'clock? Yeah, our first classes start at seven thirty. So. Oh my! Yeah. Oh my! Seven thirty. All in. So that's right. Yeah, this is this is a good time. Wonderful. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about your background uh, and how you came to Concordia, Irvine. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by your your education. Sure. Yeah. I. <clears throat> Uh, the short of it, I mean, is that I was interested in theology uh, as a, a young man, well, about 18. I was baptized when I was 18 and came to the faith and was interested in theology and was not sure what to do with that, with that interest. And so I went to a couple different colleges and I ended up at Concordia Irvine as a student. And many of my friends were going on to become uh, pastors, and I didn't believe I had that call. Oh, you started hanging out with the pre-SEM students, did you? <laughs> yeah, for the most part. <laughs> and, but I really liked history, and I had some, some friends and colleagues who, um, or now colleagues, who, when I said, hey, I want to study history, they said, well, you know, there's a couple different places there, that you can go to. There's, you want to find people who are responsible historians. Uh, to deal with, you know, the 16th century and the 17th century and the Reformation. And so I was directed towards St. Andrews uh, in Scotland, uh, oldest university in, in Scotland. And there in their Department of Modern History, they have some of the some world-renowned historians on the Reformation. So 
I got into that department and I started uh, my master's and my PhD program there. And then I heard just through friends that Concordia Irvine had gone through kind of a, a renaissance, kind of a, a little change in the way they were doing uh, education. They were going towards a more classical style of education. And so that intrigued me. So I thought, well, it's probably worth checking out. Uh, my friend Adam Francisco, uh, who is now my colleague here, my friend Corey Moss, who is a Lutheran at Hillsdale College, they were teaching here at Concordia Irvine. And so after I finished my dissertation in St. Andrews in Scotland, I applied for a job uh, back in Irvine, back where I got my, my undergraduate degree. <laughs> and I've been here for, I think, eight years. So that's, and, that's, that's my story. And, and you mentioned some of your, your colleagues, and, and I know that uh, they have some published work as well. I know Corey Moss has some, some good stuff that I used back when I was uh, full-time in the parish. Uh, I believe he had a Bible study or a study in, uh, was it the Lutheran Spirituality Series, I believe? Yes, yes. And uh, that I remember studying that and great material. And Adam Francisco, I know uh, we talk with him about uh, uh, other religions. And, yeah, uh, he's, he's the expert on, on Islam. He, he was at Oxford when I was at St. Andrews. We were both doing grad work at the same time. And he was doing Luther and Islam. And so, uh, the the three of you make up the the Trinity here. You're you're the Reformation history. Yeah, I, I'm sort of the early modernist. So that's, <laughs> that's I do Renaissance and Reformation and and uh, and and after. So so yeah. put all three together, and it, it's a powerful team. It, we well, and we're good friends, so we have fun. <laughs> and and I I enjoy. Thank you for the information on your podcast. Uh, is that fairly new? Yeah, there's uh, at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. There used to be a center for theology and, and uh, Lutheran theology and public life with Dr. Uwe Simonetto, uh, a lay theologian uh, who's working at Concordia Seminary. He came out to Irvine and started something called the League of Faithful Masks. And what that is, is using Luther's theology that we are the masks of God, that we do good works not to be saved, but to serve our neighbor. So he started this, this organization that is dealing with the left-hand kingdom and, and, and virtue and how we deal with what we call the wasteland. And so the League of Faithful Masks hired uh, myself and my colleague Jeff Mallinson, who is also a, a historian and a theologian and a philosopher uh, here at Concordia, Irvine. And they wanted us to reach out to as many people as possible. And so we decided that we would use... Uh, a podcast where we would interview people, we would discuss we would discuss Lutheranism, but we would discuss the left hand kingdom how do we how do we live virtuous lives serving our neighbor uh, which was part of the center for, which is part of the League of Faithful Masks, which goes back to the Center for theology Lutheran theology and public life so the podcast started and has been a a, a great success we 've been doing it for about four months and uh, we've got 48 countries, uh, every state in the union, uh, well over 20,000 uh, people listening. So it's it's uh, it's been great fun. I, I enjoyed it. It was new to me, and so I enjoyed uh, spending some time listening to uh, some of the podcasts and the topics. Actually, th- there are a lot in common. What does it mean to be a, a Lutheran in today's society, uh, living in this in the left hand kingdom, as you say? What yeah. does it mean to be a Lutheran, and especially as a family? Uh, what does that mean? And and so that's really what I want to get into today yeah, as we talk absolutely. about the Reformation. Um, 
tell us, uh, you've studied the Reformation in depthly. Yeah. Where, where did the you know we we hear the stories of, uh, you know some. Stories begin with Luther and the the thunderstorm. Some begin with him nailing ninety five theses to the to the castle church door. Uh, where does the Reformation begin? That's a very good question. I you know I I'm a, a relatively new father, so when it comes to teaching the family, this is something that uh, as an academic now I've got uh, a four year old who's asking questions and and will continue to ask questions. <laughs> and so I you know I've got to think about this, and then I've got undergraduates who aren't who don't, haven't had history before, and I, I need to teach the Reformation to them. And, you know, the, the answer really isn't that the Reformation starts with Luther. Luther is a very key part. He is one of the most important people in the Reformation. But the Church has been reforming itself since the first century, uh, since the, the the time of the Church and the ascension of Jesus. There has been throughout, and I think this is really important for Lutherans to understand that the, the Church has had schism and difficulty and arguments and people breaking off into this and that. It's been happening since the very beginning because we're, we're all sinners mm-hmm. and the Church has fallen. And so when we do that, we at least ground ourselves in the idea that what we are as Lutherans isn't some brand new invented thing that was invented in 1517 when Luther nails his 95 theses to the door. But this has always been happening. And so I think that's the first thing. Many people who criticized the Reformation and the Lutherans, what they said was, if you guys are, are, are right, where has your church been for the past 1,500 years? And that's a really good question. Yeah. And so the answer is, well, the church has always been. It's been clouded. It's been, you know, messed up theologically. It's been uh, hijacked by various uh, leaders, whether they be ecclesiastical church leaders or whether they be emperors and civil leaders. So the Reformation is, has always been happening. But then we want to talk about the Lutheran Reformation and what makes this upcoming Reformation Sunday such a, a big deal for us as Lutherans. And also, this is a big day, remember, not just for us as Lutherans, but for all Protestants, everyone who came out of this tradition. Well, the Church especially in the Middle Ages had fight after fight after fight. If you think of the Eastern Orthodox Church, they break off in 1054 from the, the Roman Church. And then there's battles in the Middle Ages, and the question is always the same. The question is, who has authority? To whom has authority been given? And that's that's really, I mean, that's the story of, of, of the Church, and that's something that I think you know, when I think of my, my four-year-old and I ask him to do something, the question is, why? Why should I? You know, and, and the answer I'm learning that I learned from my parents is because I said so, because I have the authority. But when we talk about matters of faith, we are dealing with issues of authority. And that's what the Lutheran Reformation was primarily about. Who has the authority to tell us 
how bad our sin nature is mm-hmm. and what is faith. And so I think Luther's story, whether it's, I think it's somewhere between the, the lightning storm and the 95 Theses. It's when he's in the Augustinian monastery. Some people might be familiar with St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. He comes, he's a church father from the 5th century who's really just racked by guilt and really racked by how can God accept him as someone who's been so bad growing up. And Luther is part of this tradition in this monastery. And, but, you know, it was already bothering him. That's why, I mean, a lightning storm, you know, that's for him to, to think God is trying to punish him. Uh, well, that, he's obviously got some, some real issues. Some real, he's really guilty, and he's feeling this guilt that, frankly, we all should feel to, to some extent. And so he, uh, as, as he tells the story and is told by others, he is, is thinking through in his room in the monastery, he's thinking through how can a perfect God love an imperfect person? Hmm. Well, it has to do with, with faith and works. Well, well, what is faith? And I, I think this is, this is at, at the core because Luther struggled with this idea of faith. Is it faith? He thought of faith as faith in his good works. Mm-hmm. Something or he even, did. Yeah. Or even faith in his faith. And he realized, no, it's faith in Jesus. It's faith that Jesus did it all. And how do we know that? Well, because the Bible clearly teaches it. So what's the authority we're going back to? We're going to go back to the Bible. And the Bible is going to teach us about faith and sin. And so now, pardon me, Luther's whole understanding of someone who, if he really thinks hard about the things he does, and and the sinfulness, the, the hidden sins, as well as the open sins, and how he can actually be saved, he realizes that the authority isn't the Pope, isn't the, the Church at the time, but rather is the Scriptures. Hmm. And and that, at, at that time, to, to say that was a very dangerous thing. Absolutely. Luther has, you know, the Church has always been, as I mentioned, diverse. There have always been people thinking this and that, and there have been people who have been teaching this idea of faith and authority as presented in Scripture since the early Church. But it came to be that because of the Holy Roman Empire, which is, think of the, you know, Germany and France, a little, maybe Eastern France, um, there have been problems between the Pope and the Emperor. And the Pope and the Emperor were always fighting, and the question was authority. So whether it's Charlemagne, the Emperor, or whether it's Pope Leo X, who's the Pope when when, uh, Martin Luther nails his 95 Theses, there was always an issue of authority. And if you were attacking authority, you're going to be in trouble. So if you attack the the authority of the emperor or of the pope and the church, you're likely going to find yourself uh, tied to a pole and set on fire. It's uh, sort of the the rough nature of medieval um, life. And there have been people before who had been teaching this, and they were were burned at the stake. So Jan Hus, 
He was a bohemian, about 100 years before Luther. He gets brought to a council, much like Luther will be brought to a council to account for this teaching. And Luther is saved. He's spared from the stake, whereas Jan Hus is burned. Jan Hus was kind of the the pre-Reformation in a sense, I guess. Yeah. And there had been others. There had been, you know, John Wycliffe, uh, these names that, that we talk about as sort of the forerunners of the Reformation. They didn't have the exact same theology as Luther, but they shared the same idea about that central question of authority. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that, that I like to tell that's, that's an interesting story is, is to say, well, how, why didn't Luther get killed? Everyone who went against the Pope on this kind of level, you know, having these 95 theses, and remember the 95 theses come out, they're the first real significant theological document post-printing press. And whether people understood them or not, or understood all of them, they realized this was, this was attacking the Pope's authority. And so people printed these 95 theses. It was printed in, in, in the tens of thousands and spread all over Europe. So if Huss got in trouble, you know Luther's in big trouble. It's the difference between you know, telling someone something and maybe putting it on Facebook today, uh, where it's just going to go out everywhere. And so he goes and he has to talk to, to Pope Leo. And this is where we talk about uh, here I stand, right? The diet at, at Worms. And Luther says, unless I'm con- unless I am convinced, you know, by scripture and reason, I-, I can't recant. I can't take back what I've said about authority and, in this case, repentance. So, okay, get the steak, uh, get the lighter <laughs> fluid. All right, let's we're, we're going to do it. Except. As I mentioned before, there was also an issue of authority between the Pope and the Emperor and the, the sort of civil leaders. And it just so happened that the civil leader of, of Germany, a guy named Frederick the Wise, had just started this university in Wittenberg, and Luther was his sort of, you know, celebrity teacher, along with Philip Melanchthon and Lucas Cranach, the painter, and Frederick who was a German and had a lot, of, a lot of sway, said to the Pope, hey, if you, uh, if you, if you kill my guy, we're going to break away. And by the way, there are a number of Turks uh, and Muslims that are coming from the east, from Turkey, up through Constantinople, and you're going to need help fighting them. And if you kill Luther, I'm not going to give you any, any troops. And so... Pope Leo and and the uh, the Emperor Charles V both say, uh, as much as we'd like to kill Luther and keep the precedent that we've had, we're we're going to go ahead and let him go, and that's why we celebrate this Reformation because this is the one that stuck, and and it stuck for we can see historical reasons, and it also stuck for the reasons of that it answered the uh, questions of authority and faith and sin, and and because it stuck. Because th- that Reformation happened, and, and obviously there's more to it, but because of that, so much was impacted. So Absolutely. not just not just matters of faith, but society, the Western society, w- was changed forever. Absolutely, this is you know it's something that we want to 
stress, uh, it, you know, whether we're teaching this in a Sunday school or, or to our children or, you know, I teach it at a, at a, a college level. The thing we want to teach is that the change in society, while the Reformation is certainly something that we celebrate, uh, John Calvin, who was a, a Protestant a little bit later, um, he called the Reformation Europe's concussion. Hmm. And well, why, why would he say that? Wouldn't he celebrate the Reformation? Well, to make something maybe a historical parallel that will help, help people understand, think of the Civil War in America. Now, I think we'd probably say it was a good thing, and we celebrate the, uh, <clears throat> the, um, the fact that we are a nation, that we're one nation, and we celebrate that, that we were able to stay together and that the Union was able to do this, and slavery is abolished. This is wonderful. But we remember how devastating the Civil War was. Right? You just go sure. to the South, and you see all the battle sites, and you see the places where people died on both sides. And you think, man, that's. I, I'm glad this isn't happening now, and and we're thankful for the people that fought, and and we we see it as a a wonderful time, but also a tragic time. And I think sometimes we need to be remember we need to remember that that culture was so uh, it was brother against brother and family against family. Families were broken in two because some wanted to go the direction of the reformers and others didn't. You'd have entire towns divided. As a matter of fact, for the next hundred years, you couldn't live in a town with anyone who wasn't of your confession of faith, because it was seen that if you lived in a town with people outside of your confession of faith, it would be a town that would be forever in civil war. Hmm. And so we had to think about, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to live in in this fallen world? How are we going to live with people that don't share our confession of faith. And I think that that's, that's very important uh, because it made us think about the issues of church and state and, a, and issues of right-hand kingdom and left-hand kingdom. And a question that, that we're still asking today as we live in, in, in an increasingly global society in a world Absolutely. that, because of technology, we're, we're connected to people around the world, but certainly not people who, who believe and teach and confess that what we do. Uh, yeah, so, it's tough. And, and I think with our, our, our children and, and the youth, this, this coming generation, this generation doesn't like strife, doesn't like disagreement. And that's what I found, at least, you know, teaching um, college students that they kind of have this, what we might call naive relativism. You know, that, hey, everyone's got their own truth, and uh, if you're this or that, I happen to be Lutheran because I live here, or mom and dad go to First Lutheran, but that person goes there, that person in India believes in that. Well, we got to get the idea out of, of our heads that all of these things are true at the same time. But we also have to remember that we all have to live together. And so <laughs> this is what makes the Lutheran Reformation and the doctrine of two kingdoms, the left-hand kingdom, the right-hand kingdom. We can't sep- we, we separate them, but not too much. It's, it's, it's such a struggle. But as long, we want to have that struggle. As soon as we have the answer, uh, as soon as you find the perfect church or the perfect model, 
uh, you know you're doing it wrong. <laughs> because in a fallen world, you're not going to uh, find anything that is perfect. We Earlier this week, uh, we spoke with... Uh, our friends at the Lutheran Heritage Center and Museum here in Perry County, Missouri, and the Saxon Lutheran Memorial, uh, it, it, learning about the history of the the Saxons who settled here in the Midwest early on and what they were looking for and looking for that that new Eden in a sense, but yeah, absolutely not exactly what they found when they got <laughs> here. Uh, and uh, so you're, you're right when when we think that we have we've found a, a utopia when we found that that perfect place then it, in this fallen world it can never happen so if we think we found it we are mistaken well we need to take a short yeah. break but when we come back from that break i want to continue our conversation about the reformation the history of the reformation and and delve into what it means uh, for families today even more so so stick around as we talk with dr daniel van Voorhis of concordia university irvine on the reformation and what it means for families right here on faith and family on worldwide kfuo Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee, with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Jennifer Christie was a victim of brutal rape and left for dead. She became pregnant by the assailant and has a son. Jennifer says she's been called amazing. Even though she appreciates the heart of the person who said that, she asks us to think about it for a moment. She was called an amazing woman because she loves her son. Would you be offended for being called an amazing parent because you love your child? Her son is her child. He's her husband's child. More importantly, she says, he's a child of God. Jennifer says an innocent child should never bear the anger and vitriol intended for the criminal. I call her amazing for another reason. Jennifer is daily working to forgive the man who sexually assaulted her, who intended to kill her. For more information, visit our website at lifeissues.org. And stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. 
Are you among the millions of Americans living with chronic pain? If so, you may think prescription opioids are the solution. Truth is, opioids only mask the pain, and they come with serious side effects, from nausea to withdrawal symptoms to overdose. There is another choice, physical therapy. Physical therapists treat pain through movement and exercise. Choose physical therapy. Visit moveforwardpt.com. This public service announcement is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Your smartphone takes you anywhere instantly. At a click, you can read, watch, and listen to just about anything. Some websites are good and some are bad. Some sites are truthful, but others are deceptive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear the truth of Jesus daily on Worldwide KFUO. Using today's smartphone technology, KFUO brings the gospel to you where you are. KFUO is just a click away, 24 hours a day. KFUO.org. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Andy Bates. Thursday, October 24th, we're continuing our discussion on Reformation and Lutheran heritage this week. Today, we're talking with Dr. Daniel Van Voris from Concordia University, Irvine. He's the department chair for history and, and political thought. And before we went to break, we were just talking about the, the uh, we, we, we discussed the history of the Reformation and, and some of the things that, that have come out of the Reformation, particularly, we were just starting to talk about separation of church and state living in this, the, the left-hand kingdom. What what does it mean to live in the left hand kingdom, uh, Doctor Van Voris? Well, it, it means that we have a, a doctrine of church and state and a, and a way of thinking about our our lives that is a, a little more helpful than some of the 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 loud voices that we hear on on the television or some of the the more radical uh, voices. Lutherans believe that the right-hand kingdom is the kingdom of, of, of grace. And when we go into church on Sunday morning, when we pray, when we ask for forgiveness, we are, at, we are in the right-hand kingdom. At the same time, we live in the left-hand kingdom. And our only job in the left-hand kingdom is to serve our neighbor, to follow our vocation, to do what we are called to do and to do it well out of love for our neighbor not to not to be not to find glory and not to win god's favor but to serve our neighbor and so when we think of issues of, of, of politics or church and state we can think all right well we want to get people to the right hand kingdom so we want to preach the gospel we want to present the faith but we also are called to love our neighbor and to live out our lives in service to our neighbor, not to gain God's favor and, and not to impress him, but <laughs> rather to, uh, to be masks. And that's ultimately where that uh, Lee of Faithful Masks that runs the, the podcast, uh, Virtue in the Wasteland, that I run and am a host of. This is, this is the, the great—so when we talk about issues of you know, politics— 
Well, you know, my, my, my question isn't first a partisan question, but it's how is this going to serve my neighbor? How is this going to serve my neighbor, whether young or old or other families or born or unborn, old? How do I serve my neighbor? And I think this is one of the great things that the Reformation was able to, to in a way, separate church and state. Although when we say separate church and state, it means so it, it has so much baggage to say that. But <laughs> what we mean is we're living in God's kingdom, and we're living in, uh, well, they're both his kingdoms. <laughs> we're living in his kingdom of grace, but also his kingdom of this world, where we're called to serve our neighbor. As, a, as an instructor, as an educator, and also as a parent— how do you how do you teach your child about the the history of the reformation and what it means uh, what it meant then what it means for us today where where are those teachable moments i think those teachable moments come in well a number of places first of all in punishing my child i mean that's and you know i've got a, a almost 2 year old and a 4 year old and I'm sure there's much more punishing that will have to, to happen. Now, there's a very teachable moment there, because we can talk about, um, obviously, they're a little young to get all of the nuances of the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom. But what's, what's the idea? How can I be upset because you, you know, broke a toy or hit your brother? How can I be upset with you, but also love you at the same time? How can you be a really... My, how can I? How can you be a boy that I love, but at the same time, have to punish? And so that's for me with younger children. That's those are those teachable moments. I think that when it comes to looking at um, ideas of authority, we get this a little bit later on. I mentioned earlier that you know I tell my sons what to do, and if they ask why, <laughs> I say because I said so. Uh, well, that's not going to work when the kids get older. Rarely does it work in college with these 18-year-olds where they say, well, why should I believe anything? Why should I do that? Oh, oh just because you said? Well, I'm an adult. I can make my own decision. Which always makes the first job very interesting for them. <laughs> yes, exactly, because they realize, oh, this is the kingdom of the left. <laughs> There's a, a boss who will uh, not be as nice as dad. But the question is of authority. And what is authority, and why do we believe what we believe, whether it's about the world or faith? These are all questions that we need to deal with, um, both you know, critically, uh, with, with a real faith commitment, but also in a way that we can think about and, and discuss with others. Because we live with others. Because the Reformation, one of the outcomes is, while at first it was seen that Catholics and Lutherans and Calvinists couldn't live together, eventually the out, one of the outcomes of the Reformation is we're going to all have to get along somehow, even with different confessions of faith. Do, does the Van Voris family have any special... Uh, do you celebrate the Reformation in any certain way? Well, we have uh, at, at my church, you know, we've got the uh, Reformation Sunday and uh, a sort of Oktoberfest Reformation celebration uh, that we have. So we, we do that, um, which, which is really, really fun for the church and for bringing people to, to sort of to just sort of celebrate and, and to talk about history, but also to talk about, you know, what, what this means for us. Uh, you know, in my home with my children, it's, 
you know, it's just telling these these simple stories. And, you know, for small children, my, you know, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, you do talk about, my son always wants to talk about good guys and bad guys, right? <laughs> he's, uh, we watch, even though I'm on the coast, um, my my team has been the Rams that, you know, St. Louis stole from me. <laughs> and uh, what happens is my son now, he loves to watch football with me. So we'll watch football and he'll say, Oh, there's the Rams. Okay, who are the bad guys? <laughs> like, okay, they're not. Okay, well let's <laughs> let's you know for a child it's it's so black and white, and as we get older and as our children get older, I'm still going to teach my child in terms of right and wrong, black and white, but in a fallen world it's tricky, and so while we will celebrate Luther. And, you know, the nailing of the 95 theses, and and this is sort of, you know, something that we do culturally and and for theological reasons. I'm going to talk about the 95 theses, and I like to ask people, and not my son yet, but I will when he's a little bit older, uh, can you tell me what one of those theses was about? And chances are, they won't know. It's really, if you ask people, what are the 95 Theses about? They might jump into Lutheran theology, but the 95 Theses were about the nature of repentance and that we can't buy it. That's the 95 Theses. So it's a, it's a great day to think about our heritage and to think about history and to think about our Lutheran doctrine. But what we're celebrating is Luther asking questions about what real repentance is. And so I find that uh, amongst the, the Bratwurst and all the other sort of German Lutheran traditions and, and celebrating, we get to talk about repentance and what repentance is and how God through his spirit has changed our mind, right? which is what repentance uh, is and, and changes our life. And as Lutherans, I would imagine what it is not as well. We always Absolutely. Uh, we yeah. talk about what things are, but we also talk about what things are not. As Lutheran, so yeah, and, and what repentance, is repentance? You know, today buying repentance isn't a huge issue. <laughs> you know, it's that was an issue with uh, a specific issue in the 16th century because, well, it's it's very complicated. But there were banks and there were people borrowing money, and it it actually sounds a lot like today. But what happened? It was then they wanted to buy. They were selling indulgences because that's how they were going to pay for St. Peter's Basilica. And that's how they were going to pay the bankers back. Well, today, how do we think about repentance? Well, you know, I hear it sometimes taught. It means finding out a sin that you commit. Okay, well, that's, that's good. And then never doing it again. <laughs> and if you do it again, you obviously didn't repent. And as Lutherans, we have a doctrine of... Um, that we're sinners and saints at the same time, that we can talk about repentance, that it's a change of mind, that I, I want to do good. It's Romans 7, right? I want to do good, and I'm going to do good, but sometimes I'm going to do bad, but even when I do the things I don't want to do, I'm, my mind is still changed because I have faith in Christ, based on the authority of Scripture. So it it's, it's, sometimes strikes people as a little interesting that I would say the Reformation is about thinking about repentance uh, and what it is and what it isn't. It's not favoring, it's not gaining favor with God. It's not making, you're promising to be a good boy the whole rest of your life. But it's about how we, how our minds and our hearts have been changed through the, through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit. It's not, the, the Reformation isn't about uh, 
Oktoberfest in our German heritage? <laughs> well, being that I'm not German, and, <laughs> and you know, especially coming in to the church as as we try to as this sort of you know German heritage. You know, I live on on the West Coast, and it's not as bad as, as some people think. Uh, but <laughs> some places it is not here at Concordia, Irvine. Uh, but we don't have. The, that, that German heritage that you were speaking with the guest um, earlier this week. We, or we have the heritage, but a lot of us aren't German. And so I had never had a bratwurst or, or um, jello salad or, or anything. Oh, that's a tragedy. I, I know, until I came to the Lutheran <laughs> Church, I thought, my goodness, this salad is terrible. Uh, and so there, there's this interesting thing where we can have heritage, but... And we, we can celebrate what our church has, has done, and we can think about the things that, that the Lutheran Church has done in America and in, in Europe and in the world. But remember, Lutherans, we're best when we're not trying to be impressive. So our parties are, are small uh, in, in the sense of, of uh, how they are, how, how we're seen by the world, that you know, we can certainly have the big barbecue and, and, and have a, a good bit of fun, and, and that's great. But what's the, what's the reason? Why are we doing this? It's just like, well, you know, Christmas. We, we can have as much fun as the next person, but what's the reason? And that's the incarnation. And I think Reformation is great to think about repentance. Absolutely. And I know I want to remind our listeners, if, if you have a, quest, a question today for our guest, you're welcome to call 314-821-0850. Outside of St. Louis, 1-800-730-2727, or you can send an email to family at kfuo.org. Dr. Van Voris, you were, earlier you were talking about uh, you know one of the main things of the Reformation being focused on repentance and that you can't buy repentance. And I wonder today if, based on, on your study of Luther and the Reformation, you know, it, a time machine, Luther comes back and looks at today, what do you think, how would he describe the, the church today? And not just the Lutheran church, but other church bodies as well. You, you, you know, it really sparked something when you said, you know, repentance isn't something you can buy, and not that that's a, a big issue today. People aren't necessarily selling repentance, but I know that there are some confessions, some church bodies that still focus on, if you do this, then God will bless you. Mm-hmm. If you do no, that, absolutely. then you'll earn God's favor, God's blessing. What, what do you yeah. think Luther would have to say about the church today if he were to... Uh, to be here. I think if Luther showed up today in a time machine and we, we got over all the, the modern things and he, you know, we showed him an iPhone and his head just about explode, we, you know, we, I think what he would do is he'd look around at the church and he would say, why are you guys trying to be so impressive? Why are you, why are you doing these, uh, these huge things that seem to be so focused on, on yourself and, 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 and your own glory? You know, just as he would see St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, uh, and he would see Rome and see it as, well, I mean, if, we, if you've been to Rome, it's beautiful. But what Luther said is, why are you doing, this isn't going to save you. This isn't, you don't earn God's favor by doing this. I think he would look at our churches, uh, many of our churches, and say, why are you, why are you trying to be so impressive in, in the, the sort of eyes of the world. And I think it's, it's certainly not wrong to have big churches. It's certainly not wrong to 
to spread the gospel as, as winsomely and as, you know, in, as effectively as possible. But at the same time, we really try to look impressive. We really try to, to, to impress God by, uh, you know, either, you know, promising to be good boys and girls and never sin again, or by trusting in Him for things that He hasn't promised us. Um, I'm, I can think of, a, a, you know, people on television that are, I guess, sort of like preachers, that are really smiley and just tell you to live your best life. What? Wow, okay, so you, now you're the object of your own faith? Luther would say, well, that's, that's, as, that's as bad as what the Pope was doing. That's as bad as what the, the medieval church at its worst was doing. Its faith was in the wrong thing. Its repentance wasn't a change of mind deciding to trust God on account of Christ. And it was trying to be too impressive uh, for the wrong reasons. I think that's what Luther would say. If if we were to, uh, I haven't had the privilege of traveling to uh, to Europe, um, but what would what would we see? It, I don't know if you if you've had the opportunity to travel to any of the Luther sites or not. Do you know what we would see today? Is there much history there? Is it is it something that uh, you know there would be great opportunities to teach? Uh, uh, the younger generations about the history of the Reformation. Is there a lot there? Absolutely. I um, I lived in Europe, and uh, my studies were in Germany, and I spent a lot of time in Wittenberg, and so it's uh, it's I've been able to sort of you know see the places where things happened. Uh, you know, in Europe, I think there are a couple things that are sort of teachable. I mean, certainly, I think if Luther saw it, he would he would be blown away by this idea of the state church, you know, that the, the Lutheran church is the state church. Um, how many Lutherans are in, in Germany? Well, just, you know, count noses, and, you know, because that's, that's what it is. I mean, he, he would be at, I mean, the idea of two kingdoms just being thrown out the window would be shocking. In Wittenberg, also, there's a, a statue of Luther, and Wittenberg, if you look at it up online or on a map, it's actually called Lutherstadt Wittenberg, which you know Luther's town. Mm-hmm. And Luther himself has been treated very curiously. So during the Cold War, Luther was a the the working man's hero, and certainly in line with uh, Leninist Marxist traditions. <laughs> I think Luther would be aghast that he was being uh, held up as this political figure, this impressive man who is, you know, a communist. But what you have in Wittenberg, and, and I really, it's, a lot of the, what was Eastern Germany is just very, very um, just debased, and there's crime. But what happened during the Cold War is they kept Wittenberg clean and safe, because they knew that this is a place people would want to come and see. And when you come to Wittenberg, it's a very small street. It takes about, the main street, it takes about 10 minutes to walk from one end to the other. You can start on one end, and you can walk by the church, the Marienkirche, which has, which is where the uh, 95 theses were posted. And then as you walk past the, walk a few steps away, a few feet, on your right-hand side, you have a, a little publisher house, a little publish, publishing house. It was Lucas Cronach, the great painter of the Reformation, and the great printer. And you can see his house and learn about how Luther's 95 Theses and ideas spread. And then you walk down a little bit more, and on your right, again, you have the house of Philip Melanchthon, who was 
uh, called the Teacher of Germany, who wrote so much of the uh, Lutheran confessions. And then you walk a little further and you see the school. And then you walk, and the end of the street is Luther's home. And of course, Luther's home is gigantic. It was a monastery. And it wasn't gigantic like a, a mansion today. It was gigantic because he had guests all the time. He was hospitable. He, this is how he lived out his faith. This is how his wife lived out her faith. They lived out their faith as a family by bringing people in, um, by uh, being uh, servants and, and, and hosts. So it's a really fun just walk down, and, and you can just see as you walk down the street uh, each little uh, place and, and how that fits into how the Reformation started and, and worked and how it was lived out. So there are certainly opportunities to, to, to learn about the Reformation there, to see those historic sites, and because it, it, a lot of it was, was certainly kept the... the uh, the physical sites. I want, yeah. to, I want to go to our uh, caller. We have Herman calling from Illinois. Good morning, Herman. Uh, thank you. Uh, yes, uh, Dr. Van Boris, uh, your comments about the uh, various applications of groups who want to sort of hijack Martin Luther's identity. Uh, instead of seeing him as clearly within a, the, the Christian church as a theologian and pastor, uh, people have tried to hijack him as a proto-communist revolutionary, a proto-type uh, 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 Nazi, or a today in Germany he seems to be a proto-folk uh, cultural secularist who uh, uh, sort of uh, brought secular ideas of uh, progress into society and codified yeah. the German language. So uh, all of those things contend over against uh, the true Martin Luther. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the things, and it's, it's, it's chilling when you look at how the Nazis would use Hitler, or how the Nazis would use Luther, and how he's become all these things he wasn't. And I think even, I think he would blush, I mean, as, as the story goes, he said, uh, you know, do anything you want with this church, but don't call it uh, don't call yourself Lutherans. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Luther wasn't about his own glory uh, or being the the spokesman for anything. He wanted to point to Christ. There is a very very good book that is very uh, readable. Concordia Publishing House has printed called "The Fabricated Luther: Refuting Nazi Connections and Other Modern Myths." It's a great book. Uh, the Fabricated Luther. Uh, the author is Uwe Simonetto, who is the head of the organization, um, the League of Faithful Masks and Virtue in the Wasteland podcast. Um, but it's, it's a really good book that walks through how people have hijacked Luther and how Luther would want to see, uh, how Luther saw himself and, and not the, this fabricated Luther. Yes, indeed. Uh, the m modern attack on Luther, either by the Nazis within Germany or the detractors since then to claim that uh, Luther brought on the Nazis, ignore the fact that uh, the uh, rise of Nazism and communism came out of contention of secular uh, philosophical and political movements, not a study of the Lutheran confessions. Absolutely, and it's at the 19th century. And the 19th century and materialism, that's where this comes. That, that's where the real issues come, and a misunderstanding of, of church and state. I, you know, that, that's where you know, Luther would be very opposed to the picture that has been uh, painted 
uh, of him. I think we can look at, you know, not just Luther, but we can look at some Lutheran theologians, uh, Herman Zasse uh, in America. Uh, you can look uh, at Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, in Germany, you know, who's, who's obviously living during the, the Nazi regime. And we can see how they were affecting and understanding Lutheran theology and what that meant during these troubled times. And so I think that, that whether it's Hermann Zasse in early America or if it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer under the Nazi regime, they give us really good pictures. Um, as far as modern Lutherans who are dealing with, with Lutheran theology and, and trying, I think Uwe Simonetto, Dr. Simonetto, does a great job. But uh, think of, uh, there's Gene Vieth. You know, Gene Vieth has, has uh, printed, published a number of things on living in the world and vocation and, and what it means to, to live out uh, our faith. And so I think it's, yeah, those people who have studied Luther, not those people who have just used him as a, a mascot. I would say that uh, uh, Pastor um, Matthew Harrison's book on uh, Herman Sasse's sermon recently, and also uh, Dr. Lowell C. Green's book called uh, Lutherans Against Heresy, uh, Against Hitler, uh, both published yeah. by Concordia, open a wider picture of historical mm-hmm. uh, account on this than what we've been able to grasp for the past couple of decades. And I think that's been a real good thing. Thank you, yeah, Herman. Absolutely. We've got about just about 30 seconds to uh, to wrap up, but thank you for your call today, Herman. Thank you. Dr. Van Voorhis, thank you so much for uh, for spending some time talking with us today. Uh, just Always happy to do it. A, a few final thoughts. What we can walk away from the Reformation with uh, for families today? Well, the Reformation was about, was just, was a controversy in the church. There have always been controversies in the church. It was one that stuck because Luther, uh, through his elector, wasn't killed. And what it, where it started was with the idea of repentance, and that got to authority and faith. That that's what we're celebrating with the Reformation: authority, or repentance, authority, and faith. Thank you so much today, Dr. Daniel Van Voorhis, the department chair for history and political thought at Concordia University, Irvine, and co-host of Virtue in the Wasteland, a podcast about living in the left-hand kingdom. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy. God's blessings. Bye-bye. Coming up on uh, on the next Faith and Family, we'll, uh, we'll revisit some topics in Faith and Family, and then next week, we're going to take a look at Faith Formation. A variety of issues surrounding faith formation. Sunday school, is it important? Is it helpful? Is it hurting? What are we doing in Sunday school these days? So we're going to take a look at that next week. Stick around for Moments of Assurance up next right here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news.